The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. Today's episode is episode number 232. Please be sure and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and also be sure and subscribe to our YouTube channel. When you do this, it helps people find our podcast. And the whole purpose is to give people hope and to let them know that help is available. So we want as many people as possible to be able to find our podcast. So please subscribe, give us a good rating if you can. So today we have an interview with a gentleman named Manny Mendez. Manny received his School of Hard Knocks diploma in some of the hardest correctional institutes since he was a youth. After gaining his physical freedom, he began a long journey to free his mind from the prison of addiction. Now he uses art and filmmaking to help others and to stay sober himself. Let's talk to Manny Mendez. Manny Mendez, thank you so much for being willing to tell your story on the podcast. Being an artist myself, I am super excited to talk with you. Thank you. Honored. <laughs> You're very kind. So, Manny, tell us, tell us about your background, like where you grew up, what your life was like, and, you know, kind of then how you segued into drugs. I, um, first of all, um, thank you once again, and you know, uh, I, I really think that I was genetically disposed uh, to this from from birth. Uh, you know, as at growing up, uh, it was definitely not your average home. I was I was born in Cuba. Uh, my home was the underground uh, liquor store, and uh, where the games took place. You know, cards, dominoes. So we know the element, gambling, booze. Uh, so at a very young age, man, I remember these old men giving me quarters for picking up their beer bottles, you know, and, you know, somewhere along that line, you know, I, I would drink, you know, the remainder at the, at the end, and they laughed at me. Oh, look, I'm going to get hair on your chest. And uh, There was also abuse uh, from my father's side. Uh, he's a great dad. I, I'll never take anything away from him. He did the best he could with what he knew because he didn't have a father. Uh, from what I understand, my grandfather was also an alcoholic. Uh, uh, so, yeah, man, that, that was... It, uh, you know, Manny, it's hard. You know, I'm not... Uh... Not to like justify or whatever. I mean, I, you know, ultimately, and I know you're going to say you, you take responsibility for your own actions, but when you take a young child and all they know is alcoholism and cr petty crime, crime, if that's all they know, how are you supposed to learn another way of life? You know, it's funny you say that because one of my er earliest, you know, memories was visiting my dad in prison as well. And guess what? My grandfather had also been in prison. So, and, and it's, it's, you know, you mentioned that, you know, we take responsibility and it's crazy because I just did my first ever solo film and I made, uh, I made sure that I stated that in my documentary. You know, my father was a great man, uh, still is. 
and you know, there's kids who went through a lot worse than what I did and didn't turn out to do the things I did. So, you know, I've understood. So you, how long were you in Cuba? What, how did you, you're in the U S now. How did you get here? What was that like? Uh, uh, my dad, uh, turned out to be a political prisoner and, uh, he arrived here in 1980, uh, got, you know, came straight from prison. Um, uh, and then a few months later, uh, you know, we were requested by him, uh, you know, through the Mario boat lift. This is during the 1980 uh, era when uh, Jimmy Carter opened up the Mario port. Um, so we arrived and, you know, me and my mom took took the, you know, that boat ride from, you know, uh, Cuba here to Key West. The same way you saw it in Scarface movie, <laughs> with and uh, I remember arriving, man. I was eight or nine years old, and uh, it was it was exciting, but it was you know it, it was fearful for a young man, you know, because you just left all your friends. They didn't allow me to bring my piggy bank. <laughs> oh, what's with that? I mean, <laughs> the regiment wanted the money. They they didn't want you to take currency out, man. You were allowed. You were allowed to pack. Whatever you could carry with you, that was clothes, nothing else. And you only had like, you know, a little few minute window before you could load the bus. It was, it was crazy. Yeah. Okay. So, so where did you land? I mean, I know you landed in Key West, but where did you guys, where did you end up? Miami. Um, Miami. Okay. All right. uh, We stayed in Miami, Florida for about three or four months, excuse me. And, uh, we trend we from Miami, Florida. We decided we wanted to go uh, to Dallas, Texas, because my mom's brother was there, and that's where the story takes a turn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, um, Texas was a was a cultural shock uh, from Miami. Um, you know, I was introduced um, to the West Coast culture, the Chicanos, the Lowriders. And I was the only tropical Caribbean kid, you know, from Miami, Florida, Cuba, you know, I was just learning the language and they, you know, uh, they didn't know what to do with me. They, they put me in easel classes. I fought, I was suspended, you know, um, now, forgive my ignorance, but your, your main language was Spanish, right? Yeah. Okay, good. So then you're in Texas and you don't speak much English and there you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was there that I first uh, experimented with uh, marijuana. Okay. Uh, How old were you? 11 years old. Oh, my goodness, Manny. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and I had other little you know, defects of characters that, that weren't normal for a kid my age. Uh, I like to get away with things. I like to steal. I cheated. I manipulated. I lied. You know, so even before the hardcore drugs took place, I already had these traits uh, that today I know, you know, what, what, what led me to, you know, being a career criminal, and, you know, uh, everything else that happened in my life was, you know, family was poor. I was, you know, um, Where'd you get the pot? How did, and were you giving it to others? I mean, uh, it, it, it was after school, you know, riding BMX bicycles, you know, young, you know, 
uh, trying to fit in, you know, um, which I adapted real quick. You know, I didn't have a problem, you know, with being with uh, people like me who didn't feel, you know, in, in, in place with, with, with the others. And uh, I, I just, you know, joined this, this little clique, man. And one day after school, we were sitting out there. I remember that like it was clear as yesterday. It was by the railroad tracks with our bikes and we was just hanging out. And, you know, lo and behold, you know, somebody pulled a joint. They didn't even ask. They just passed it around, and with no hesitation, I, I blew out my lungs that day, you know, mm -hmm. but it made me feel good. So how did you progress from there? People uh, tell us, oh, pot is not a gateway drug. So, oh, yeah. You know, uh, so we stayed in Texas for about two years, but my father, you know, he, he's, he's thin-blooded like me, man. We can't stand them blizzards and, you know, walking and falling and slipping on ice. That That's just... Not for us, so we decided to come back to Miami. Uh, the behaviors continued, but you know something else happened. Uh, I noticed that you know marijuana was starting to take a hold of me, and you know by the time I was 12 years old, I was in and out of juvenile detention centers in Miami. Mm -hmm. um, doing for for the marijuana usage or for crime yeah. related to that? Yeah, not nah, crimes related to marijuana usage. Okay. Uh, you know, and this was a really critical point, not only in, in our era, uh, you know, 82, 83, 84, but it was also for me because I was starting to find my ways and, and in the direction that I was going from, you know, the things I was doing just to get marijuana to the next, uh, you know, segment that took place which was the crack epidemic mm. and that blew the lid off the jar Any how, how were you introduced to crack manny same thing just friends yeah man uh, i remember that clearly well uh you know we was at a, at a there was a tire shop in miami this is in hialeah florida and in this tire shop you know i was the youngest man i always hang out with crowd you know these guys we smoked weed we drank beer uh and and behind the tire shop was the apartment where our friend who worked in the tire shop lived and we just happened to be back there and, you know once again man and you know they pulled out a can and they started putting ashes and they say try this 13 years old wow wow and it was over Okay. So keep going with your story. What, what happened then? Were you involved in gangs at all? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was already in, in juvenile halls. Uh, at this moment, um, I was, in, it, it was like I, a stronghold got a hold of me, man. It was like I was possessed by demons and, um, you know, what transpired next was a life of institutions where the gang activities, you know, uh, and in life, you know, you felt you fit in with a certain sect or a clique. Um, you know, I share this with my story when I'm asked to speak. And uh, from this moment on, I was raised more by institutions than I was by my own family. Hmm. Uh, you know, there were moments my family begged the judge uh, not to let me out. Wow. Oh. Uh, okay. 
Sorry, makes me feel bad for how young you were. You know, I, there were moments where, where, where I felt bad, but you know what? I wouldn't be the man I am today if I didn't go through that, and I wouldn't change anything. Um, you know, There's that. Right after that, uh, you know, I was in and out of juvenile program, state school, um, every juvenile program that was around Miami area. I went to treatment, I forgot to mention, I went to my first treatment at 13. I went to Charter Hospital of Miami um, right after that because my mom, the obsession was immediately, every chance I can, I found a can and I found a ways to get means and ways to get more. And uh, I was smoking crack every day and one day she found the can, found me hitting the can and did her little research and uh, found out what it was. And uh, I went to treatment right after. Um, about a year later, two years later, in and out, in and out, in and out, they decided to do that geographical change. <laughs> <laughs> we all know that, right? But we, and, uh, you know, they, they forget to mention we bring us everywhere we go. That's the problem. It's not the place. Um, and I moved to West Palm Beach, Florida. Um, you know, it worked out for a little bit, like, like most uh, addict story when they relocate. Um, and that little bit, uh, it's maybe about six months. Um, and I found myself back in that vicious cycle of, uh, crime, drugs. And, uh, I got arrested. I was 17 years old uh, by this time. And, uh, and then you're tried as an adult, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I was tried. Um, well, I, I took a plea. I wasn't. I wasn't going to go to uh, trial. Um, I had 43 counts of uh, burglaries, grand theft, stealing stolen properties uh, from Palm Beach to Broward County. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they they couldn't send me to, you know, this drug program that was by the state because of the pending charges that I had in another county. So I, I took a plea bargain, uh, and it totaled out to like 18 and a half year sentence. Wow. At 18 years old. Oh, my God. Um, How long did you serve, Manny? 11 and a half years, day for day. You know, um, you know it, it sounds it sounds brutal and crazy. And how did you do it? And um, I don't know how I did it. I think we be, it's funny because, you know, we, we think we become creatures of habit. And in, in, in any state of mind, we place ourselves in, whether it be an addiction, whether it be in a normal life. We become creatures of habit, um, and and you know, waking up every day after two, three years in prison became a habit. Man, you know, I didn't. My dreams were no longer of Christmas or being with my family. My dreams were of where I was at: football games, cards, you know, commissary, you know, playing sports, you know. Um, but I learned a lot in there. Um, it, it, you know, people jokingly say it's the greatest, you know, school of hard knocks. Um, and I really, truly believe that God, God was starting to mold me there. Uh, I couldn't see it. You know, we can't see nothing when we're in the darkness and the chaos. Um, but that's where I learned how to draw and paint. In prison? Yeah, that's where I nurtured, you know, that gift that I had. 
You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com or call us at 727 314 7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. And did you, did you do any kind of lessons or you just kind of realized that it was something you could possibly do and you just sat down and started doing I, it? I realized that I could get honey buns, Roman noodles, and chips if I made envelopes of prison cards. <laughs> <I'm excited>. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever was, works, you know? <laughs> and, uh, that was enough. But, you know, the irony is uh, I became good at it. And, um, and like I said... Were you, were you still doing drugs in prison, Manny, or did you uh, stop or...? No, in prison I stopped. Uh, okay. You know, I, like every great addict, you know, we we we're good at good intentions. You know what I mean? I had good intentions. Boy, I could write a book on great intentions. And uh, I wasn't gonna do no 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 drugs in prison because if if I did drugs in prison, I was gonna catch a life sentence and I was gonna die in there. And uh, you know, God had gave me the strength, you know, to avoid all that, man. Um, you know. Uh, my first couple of years, I did act up behavior-wise, uh, but nah, I stayed clean in prison uh, for seven years, eleven months, and two weeks. Wow! And, yeah, the only then the day that I did decide to smoke a joint, with my luck, it was my birthday, and they did give me a UA. <laughs> yeah, I, I ain't got no luck when I get I get consequences. So I spent the whole summer in solitary confinement. In Florida, if there was a hell on earth, it was there. Uh, there was no AC in that prison I was at. And uh, I tell you, I got PTSD in the summertime. Oh, man, that's right. awful. So it was somewhere in there while you were in prison, was it while you were at prison or when you got out that you kind of had your epiphany or your point of no return and realized that you needed to get your act together? When did that occur for you? It occurred uh, 12 years after I was released. I know, right? Yeah, I, I got out with great intentions again. And, um, you know, I, I, did, I did the recovery thing, you know, for a few, few stints, you know, three months, 90 days, 60 days, you know, six months. And... Uh, I couldn't get it together, man. I, you know, I, I didn't have, I, I just, I wasn't ready. And you know, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, because you say, well, you know, when you, you know, when you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, you'll change. And you know, I was sick and tired and sick and tired of quite, 
quite a few many times, but there's a difference between being tired and being done. <laughs> and that's what I realized, uh, you know, 12 years later, January 16, 2012. Uh, you know, after losing marriage, losing businesses, losing myself, ending up homeless, uh, still going in and out of these state-ran facilities, which I'm forever grateful for because each time I went into one of these state-ran rehabs, a seed was planted, and God, you know, continued to steer me. Um, you know, one of the last places I went to was the Lord's Place and the Homeless Assessment Center. Um, and I came to a conclusion, man, you know, how come I only paint or draw when I'm in treatment or in rehab or in jail? Ah. I never painted when I was, like, clean. And uh, finally, on January 16th, uh, 2012, I said, you know what, man, I'm going to give this art thing a shot while trying to get clean. Because I probably, I've never been diagnosed, but I had, you know, problem facing uh, paying attention. Uh, but if I'm drawing or writing, I can pay attention. And um, I started to do that in meetings with my little sketchbook, sketch pad, and started doing the envelopes for the, the money that goes in the basket that they sent to areas. Started doing those envelopes. I got, I got, you know, messages sent back from area. Continue to draw and paint. Beautiful man. I, you know, I just love that. One of the places I was looking at what I had printed out about you, because I always do a little bit of a bio, but one of the places I was looking at on the, on the web said that, you know, you found your new best friend, which was art. And I thought, oh, is this some guy he met that was art? And then I went, no, 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 come on. <laughs> He's talking about art, like the art that is behind you on the wall. <laughs> I don't know about two other people, but there was some form of healing and uh, learning how to be still because uh, my brain was always running and racing and, you know, I just, I, I could never hone anything down. And I think that was why I couldn't capture the 12 steps or I couldn't capture recovery as a whole. Uh, I get bored easily. I, you know, I can't sit still long enough in a meeting. You know, I, at the risk of evaluating for you, and if I if I do, I apologize, but it sounds to me like while the 12 steps is a great program, you kind of needed something else in addition to that, which turned out to be your creativity and your use of aesthetics. And, you know, that's huge. We've interviewed people on the podcast before who use aesthetics in recovery, and it's amazing, but you don't just do paintings like the one behind you on the wall. What other kinds of creativity do you do, Manny? Uh, I got into filmmaking, and um, I, I've been blessed with a wonderful team, man, uh, and a guy that I met along the way by the name of Richard Jackson from Nice Flicks. Shout out to him. <laughs> and uh, he shared my vision, man. And, uh, you know, People ask me, man, you know, I'm, you know, they tell me, well, I'm not an artist. I say, man, we're all artists. We just haven't found what we're passionate about. Being an artist is not about painting or having brushes or pencils. I totally agree. There, there, there are so many 
so many ways to use aesthetics in your life, even if it's helping others and you can make an art out of that. Do you know? So you are totally right. I like that you tell people that because so often I remember years ago knowing a woman who was a chef and I said, you're an artist. And she's, oh, no, I'm not an artist. And I'm like, yeah, you are. What you do with food is an art form. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just funny because if I would have never tuned into my art, I would have never tuned into the other creative platforms. Writing. I started writing while I was in detox. Just, you know, uh, what's that called? Uh, doing notes and poetry. Journaling and yeah. Journaling. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I found out that I was pretty good, but I was never a talkative person in early recovery. I wasn't the one to always want raising my hand at a meeting. You know, I was I was sitting back and but after the meeting I would paint and draw, you know, expressions and it started like really dark paintings. But you know, I love writing about the painting. So I realized <laughs> that I have another passion for writing and um, you know, early in my recovery I wanted to write a book which I had notes from years previous and um it was always also a dream to be a published author. So I did at seven years clean, I published my first book. Um, What's the title of the book, Manny? Is it still available? Absolutely. Uh, it's from revolution to revelations. Um, it's, I took it out of prime. I had some problems with uh, the publisher and then I went self-publishing. Uh, but I do have them. You can message me on Facebook, Manny Mendez. Uh, and I'll be more than glad to uh, you know, mail a copy. I like that though, from revolution to revelations. I like that a lot. I like the name is catchy, man. I think. Yeah. I wanted to change it a few times because uh, I didn't want to sound like a holy guru revelation. But you know, I, I was I come from a, from a country that was you know based on the revolution, you know, and I felt like my whole life was based on the revolution, me fighting myself and fighting God, yep. and things became revealed to me later on after you know enough hits. And uh, so I stuck with that title. Uh, I do speak about God. I do share my artwork in it. I share my stories. I share my poems. And I share my family and friends in there as well because I could not have done this without any of them. I like it. Manny, tell us just a little bit about your company, For Real Recovery. Tell What, do you, what does your company do? What do you do? <laughs> you know, For Real Recovery was just an inspirational uh, organization, man. You know, um, it's a catchy name. You know, the first thing you, 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 somebody says when you tell them an unbelievable story, it's like, for real? For real? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, for real started in my mom's garage when I got clean because that's where I painted at and that's where I hanged out at. And, um, and for everybody listening, it's F-O-R-E-E-L, for real, like camera yeah. real. Okay, good. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> with the filming part, you know, the R-E-E-L, real, you know, it was also catchy because by this time I had, I had, I had just got the documentary and film festival bugs. So, um, it started, man, for fun and sports. Uh, after that, we just wanted to uh, inspire people, man. You know, we we didn't really, you know, see it as, you know, anything, you know, to, you know, to produce an income from. Man, I, I was happy painting. I didn't need much. Like, that's the God's honest truth. But be careful with what you wish for, because what you want and what God has is two different things. You know, but it, it was cool, you know, 
that my beginnings were humbling and that I embraced every struggle that I had. Um, and I say that because when I did my first documentary, people laughed at me, hmm. they mocked me, and they said, go sit your ass down somewhere, go call your sponsor. Like if a newcomer couldn't do impossible things. And, uh, you know, it, it still jerks at me a little bit, hmm. but in a good way. And, um, you know, I, I, one thing I've learned, man, and I tried this concept in, with helping other people is don't tell an addict what he can't do. No, don't tell, well, and don't tell a strong individual such as yourself, oh, Manny, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah right. And, um, you know, I, I found as much as I love art, I, I also love to challenge myself, and, you know, in an ironic way, like, you know, to shut some people's mouth and prove them wrong. <laughs> and, um, you know, I went and did my first documentary, and uh, then the for real name really caught on real quick. And... Uh, it, it was just a brand, uh, you know. And the, the first documentary, it's all about you and your story? No, nah, no, nah, man. I, I've done six documentaries, and it's all been based with other people, different okay. topics. So the first documentary ever was, you know, practically no budget, and me and two of my friends. And uh, it was only a 24-minute film, but it sparked something. It was the first thing in my life I ever started and finished. Wow. And, I, and, it, and it's on YouTube? People can watch it? Yeah, yeah, it's on YouTube. It's uh, for real men's story. Um, there's, you know, there's a bunch of other films, you know, and trailer clips to that documentary. Uh, but that one was the icebreaker because I said, if I, there's something to this. And, uh, you know, we addicts know when we all to something. We feel it. <laughs> and the next one was a women's story. And that one got my first nomination. And uh, I went to the Palm Beach International Film Festival with that one. I went to the Nanner Bushnell uh, uh, Real Recovery Film Festival. Went to New York for the first time um, with that project. And then I made them believers. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I'm, I'm sorry with the timing of this um, interview because it's not going to go up until another week. But this weekend, there is a film festival. T just tell us a little bit about that. Oh, man. So first it was for real recovery. You know, we added. We, we like more. And then, you know, the sister company came along, which was me and a sponsor of mine named Big James. And uh, we started the Art of Recovery. And uh, the Art of Recovery was just an exhibit for two years. And after two years, we said, you know what, let's add the, the film festival to the exhibit and call it the Auto Recovery Film Festival. And uh, man, that's been a journey. That's my baby. Though. I love it. I love yeah. it. So how many So how many years has it been that you've been doing that? Uh, s seven altogether, but five years with the actual film festival. Wow. So this year will be our fifth annual Auto Recovery Film Festival. That's amazing. And, uh, That's amazing. Do you, just out of curiosity, do you get, like, addicts who come? Man, we get, you know, I, I told you earlier, in, you know, being a person in recovery, we know how much talent is out there and, and, and kids who just need something outside the box, non-traditional, with all due respect to the traditionals. Yep. But this era, it's different. And um, we've had 
you know, artists in recovery who came to the first exhibit, you know, 30, 60 days clean showcase photography, uh, showcase paintings, and they still clean sober. They still coming back every year. They're still featuring their artwork, you know. Um, so that's what it's really about. You're changing lives, Manny. I mean, let's face it. I mean, with what you do and with the film festival and the art shows, you're really changing lives of other people. And I just, I think that's absolutely huge. Huge. I cannot thank you enough for what you're doing. I mean, aside from just sharing your story with us, you're, you're changing people's lives, Manny. Oh, man. You know, I, I like to lead by example, and I, I, I like to inspire people. And, you know, if I can, I don't take credit for nothing, man. I, I just share my story, and hopefully when I share my story, somebody can look at themselves and say, man, if this fool knucklehead can do it, I can do it. You know, the rest is between them and God, man. And that, that's right. And that's what this podcast is all about, is sharing stories like yours so that people who listen can say, or can think, if he can do it, if he can come back from what he came back from, I can do it. And, and the funny thing is, you know, this is not an infomercial, man. You know, you don't have to pay us to, be, you know, <laughs> for us to reveal our secrets, man. You know, it's not a secret, you know. Follow some simple suggestions, you know, be true to yourself, you know, and, and, and work hard, you know. Don't give up, man, you know. Yep. Uh, that's been, you know, my process. I think it's fabulous, Manny. I can't thank you enough, not only for everything that you're doing, but for being willing to come on the podcast and share your story. We know that someone is going to listen and someone is going to reach out. And that's what we hope for every time we do an interview like yours. And I cannot thank you enough for being willing to do that. Thank you. And I'm honored that you guys also uh, do what you guys do to, to share these stories you know, and, you know, we're not, you guys ain't no big broadcast, NBC, Fox News, but, you know, what you guys are doing, you know, reaches, you know, places that, you know, those people can't probably reach, man. And, you know, that's a lot of work. And I know you guys got dedication into this. This is your art, you know, uh, <laughs> and it takes work, you know. So thank you guys as well man, for having me. Absolutely. Thank you, Manny. All right. Great interview. The thing I love about Manny's story is the use of aesthetics and art in recovery. We have interviewed others who do that. Um, I'm very bad with names, so I apologize up front, but there's the gentleman who does photography up in New England, and that's part of his recovery. And there's Wes Gear and Brandon Jordan who use music not only in their recovery, but in the recovery of others through Rock to Recovery. So once again, it's Manny Mendez, M-E-N-D-E-Z, and you can find him on social media if you would like his book. And his company is For Real, F-O-R-E-E-L.com. So thank you all for listening. And, you know, we'll be back again next week and we'll have another story to tell you. But if you need help or if you know somebody that needs help, please don't wait. Don't wait till our next week's podcast. Get them into recovery now. Thank you and have a great week. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast. 
Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.